Section 23 of Self-Help. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jane Gray. Self-Help with Illustrations of Conduct and Perseverance by Samuel Smiles. Chapter 8. Energy and Courage, Part 4. Mr. Sharp gave up every leisure moment that he could command during the next two years to the close study of the laws of England affecting personal liberty, wading through an immense mass of dry and repulsive literature, and making extracts of all the most important acts of Parliament, decisions of the courts, and opinions of eminent lawyers as he went along. In this tedious and protracted inquiry, he had no instructor, nor assistant, nor adviser. He could not find a single lawyer whose opinion was favorable to his undertaking. The results of his inquiries were, however, as gratifying to himself as they were surprising to the gentlemen of the law. God be thanked, he wrote, there is nothing in any English law or statute, at least that I am able to find out, that can justify the enslaving of others. He had planted his foot firm, and now he doubted nothing. He drew up the result of his studies in a summary form. It was a plain, clear and manly statement entitled on the injustice of tolerating slavery in england and numerous copies made by himself were circulated by him amongst the most eminent lawyers of the time strong's owner finding the sort of man he had to deal with invented various pretexts for deferring the suit against sharp and at length offered a compromise which was rejected Granville went on circulating his manuscript tract among the lawyers until at length those employed against Jonathan Strong were deterred from proceeding further, and the result was that the plaintiff was compelled to pay treble costs for not bringing forward his action. The tract was then printed in 1769. In the meantime, other cases occurred of the kidnapping of Negroes in London and their shipment to the West Indies for sale. Wherever Sharp could lay hold of any such case, he at once took proceedings to rescue the negro thus the wife of one hylas an african was seized and dispatched to barbados on which sharp in the name of hylas instituted legal proceedings against the aggressor obtained a verdict with damages and hylas's wife was brought back to england free another forcible capture of a negro attended with great cruelty having occurred in seventeen seventy he immediately set himself on the track of the aggressors an african named lewis was seized one dark night by two watermen employed by the person who claimed the negro as his property dragged into the water hoisted into a boat where he was gagged and his limbs were tied and then rowing down river they put him on board a ship bound for jamaica where he was to be sold for a slave upon his arrival in the island the cries of the poor negro had however attracted the attention of some neighbors one of whom proceeded direct to mr granville sharp now known as the negro's friend and informed him of the outrage sharp immediately got a warrant to bring back lewis and he proceeded to gravesend but on arrival there the ship had sailed for the downs a writ of habeas corpus was obtained sent down to spithead and before the ship could leave the shores of england the writ was served the slave was found chained to the main mast bathed in tears casting mournful looks on the land from which he was about to be torn he was immediately liberated brought back to london and a warrant was issued against the author of the outrage the promptitude of head heart and hand displayed by mr sharp in this transaction could scarcely have been surpassed and yet he accused himself of slowness the case was tried before lord mansfield whose opinion it will be remembered 
had already been expressed as decidedly opposed to that entertained by granville sharp the judge however avoided bringing the question to an issue or offering any opinion on the legal question as to the slave's personal liberty or otherwise but discharged the negro because the defendant could bring no evidence that lewis was even nominally his property the question of the personal liberty of the negro in england was therefore still undecided but in the meantime mr sharp continued steady in his benevolent course and by his indefatigable exertions and promptitude of action many more were added to the list of the rescued at length the important case of james somerset occurred a case which is said to have been selected at the mutual desire of lord mansfield and mr sharp in order to bring the great question involved to a clear legal issue somerset had been brought to england by his master and left there afterwards his master sought to apprehend him and sent him off to jamaica for sale mr sharp as usual at once took the negro's case in hand and employed counsel to defend him lord mansfield intimated that the case was of such general concern that he should take the opinion of all the judges upon it mr sharp now felt that he would have to contend with all the force that could be brought against him but his resolution was in no wise shaken fortunately for him in this severe struggle his exertions had already begun to tell increasing interest was taken in the question and many eminent legal gentlemen openly declared themselves to be upon his side the cause of personal liberty now at stake was fairly tried before lord mansfield assisted by the three justices and tried on the broad principle of the essential and constitutional right of every man in england to the liberty of his person unless forfeited by the law it is unnecessary here to enter into any account of this great trial the arguments extended to a great length the cause being carried over to another term when it was adjourned and readjourned but at length judgment was given by lord mansfield in whose powerful mind so gradual a change had been worked by the arguments of counsel based mainly on granville sharp's tract that he now declared the court to be so clearly of one opinion that there was no necessity for referring the case to the twelve judges he then declared that the claim of slavery never can be supported that the power claimed never was in use in england nor acknowledged by the law therefore the man james somerset must be discharged by securing this judgment granville sharp effectually abolished the slave trade until then carried on openly in the streets of liverpool and london but he also firmly established the glorious axiom that as soon as any slave sets his foot on english ground that moment he becomes free and there can be no doubt that this great decision of lord mansfield was mainly owing to mr sharp's firm resolute and intrepid prosecution of the cause from the beginning to the end it is unnecessary further to follow the career of granville sharp he continued to labor indefatigably in all good works he was instrumental in founding the colony of sierra leone as an asylum for rescued negroes he labored to ameliorate the condition of the native indians in the american colonies he agitated the enlargement and extension of the political rights of the english people and he endeavored to effect the abolition of the impressment of seamen granville held that the british seaman as well as the african negro was entitled to the protection of the law and that the fact of his choosing a seafaring life did not in any way cancel his rights and privileges as an englishman first amongst which he ranked personal freedom mr sharp also labored but ineffectually to restore amity between england and her colonies in america and when the fratricidal war of the american revolution was entered on his sense of integrity was so scrupulous that resolving not in any way to be concerned in so unnatural a business he resigned his situation at the ordnance office to the last he held to the great object of his life 
the abolition of slavery to carry on this work and organize the efforts of the growing friends of the cause the society for the abolition of slavery was founded and new men inspired by sharp's example and zeal sprang forward to help him his energy became theirs and the self-sacrificing zeal in which he had so long labored single-handed became at length transfused into the nation itself his mantle fell upon clarkson upon wilberforce upon broham and upon buxton who labored as he had done with like energy and steadfastness of purpose until at length slavery was abolished throughout the british dominions but though the names last mentioned may be more frequently identified with the triumph of this great cause the chief merit unquestionably belongs to granville sharp he was encouraged by none of the world's huzzas when he entered upon his work he stood alone opposed to the opinion of the ablest lawyers and most rooted prejudices of the times and alone he fought out by his single exertions and at his individual expense the most memorable battle for the constitution of this country and the liberties of british subjects of which modern times afford a record what followed was mainly the consequence of his indefatigable constancy he lighted the torch which kindled other minds and was handed on until the illumination became complete before the death of granville sharp clarkson had already turned his attention to the question of negro slavery he had even selected it for the subject of a college essay and his mind became so possessed by it that he could not shake it off the spot is pointed out near wade's mill in hertfordshire where alighting from his horse one day he sat down disconsolate on the turf by the roadside and after long thinking determined to devote himself wholly to the work he translated his essay from latin into english added fresh illustrations and published it then fellow laborers gathered round him the society for abolishing the slave trade unknown to him had already been formed and when he heard of it he joined it he sacrificed all his prospects in life to prosecute this cause wilberforce was selected to lead in parliament but upon clarkson chiefly devolved the labor of collecting and arranging the immense mass of evidence offered in support of the abolition a remarkable instance of clarkson's sleuth-hound sort of perseverance may be mentioned the abettors of slavery in the course of their defense of the system maintained that only such negroes as were captured in battle were sold as slaves and if not so sold then they were reserved for a still more frightful doom in their own country clarkson knew of the slave hunts conducted by the slave traders but had no witnesses to prove it where was one to be found accidentally a gentleman whom he met on one of his journeys informed him of a young sailor in whose company he had been about a year before who had been actually engaged in one of such slave hunting expeditions the gentleman did not know his name and could but indefinitely describe his person he did not know where he was further than that he belonged to a ship of war in ordinary but at what port he could not tell with this mere glimmering of information clarkson determined to produce this man as a witness he visited personally all the seaport towns where ships in ordinary lay boarded and examined every ship without success until he came to the very last port and found the young man his prize in the very last ship that remained to be visited the young man proved to be one of his most valuable and effective witnesses during several years clarkson conducted a correspondence with upwards of four hundred persons traveling more than thirty-five thousand miles during the same time in search of evidence he was at length disabled and exhausted by illness brought on by his continuous exertions but he was not borne from the field until his zeal had fully awakened the public mind and excited the ardent sympathies of all good men on behalf of the slave after years of protracted struggle the slave trade was abolished but still another great achievement remained to be accomplished 
the abolition of slavery itself throughout the British dominions. And here again, determined energy won the day. Of the leaders in the cause, none was more distinguished than Fowell Buxton, who took the position formerly occupied by Wilberforce in the House of Commons. Buxton was a dull, heavy boy, distinguished for his strong self-will, which first exhibited itself in violent, domineering, and headstrong obstinacy. His father died when he was a child, but fortunately he had a wise mother, who trained his will with great care, constraining him to obey, but encouraging the habit of deciding and acting for himself in matters which might safely be left to him. His mother believed that a strong will, directed upon worthy objects, was a valuable manly quality if properly guided, and she acted accordingly. When others about her commented on the boy's self-will, she would merely say, Never mind, he is self-willed now. You will see it will turn out well in the end. Fowell learnt very little at school, and was guarded as a dunce and an idler. He got other boys to do his exercises for him, while he romped and scrambled about. He returned home at fifteen, a great, growing, awkward lad, fond only of boating, shooting, riding, and field sports spending his time principally with a gamekeeper, a man possessed of a good heart, an intelligent observer of life and nature, though he can neither read nor write. Buxton had excellent raw material in him, but he wanted culture, training, and development. At this juncture of his life, when his habits were being formed for good or evil, he was happily thrown into the society of the Gurney family, distinguished for their fine social qualities not less than for their intellectual culture and public-spirited philanthropy. This intercourse with the Gurneys, he used afterwards to say, gave the coloring to his life. They encouraged his efforts at self-culture, and when he went to the University of Dublin and gained high honors there, the animating passion in his mind, he said, was to carry back to them the prizes which they prompted and enabled me to win. He married one of the daughters of the family and started in life, commencing as a clerk to his uncle's Hanbury, the London Brewers. His power of will, which made him so difficult to deal with as a boy, now formed the backbone of his character, and made him most indefatigable and energetic in whatever he undertook. He threw his whole strength and bulk right down upon his work, and the great giant, Elephant Buxton they called him, for he stood, some six feet four in height, became one of the most vigorous and practical of men. I could brew, he said, one hour, do mathematics the next, and shoot the next, and each with my whole soul. There was invincible energy and determination in whatever he did. Admitted a partner, he became the active manager of the concern, and the vast business which he conducted felt his influence through every fiber, and prospered far beyond his previous success. Nor did he allow his mind to lie fallow, for he gave his evenings diligently to self-culture, studying and digesting Blackstone, Montesquieu, and solid commentaries on English law. His maxims in reading were, never to begin a book without finishing it, never to consider a book finished until it is mastered, and to study everything with the whole mind. When only thirty-two, Buxton entered Parliament, and at once assumed that position of influence there, of which every honest, earnest, well-informed man is secure, who enters that assembly of the first gentleman in the world. The principal question to which he devoted himself was the complete emancipation of the slaves in the British colonies. He himself used to attribute the interest which he early felt in this question to the influence of Priscilla Gurney, one of the Earlham family, a woman of a fine intellect and warm heart, abounding in illustrious virtues. When on her deathbed in 1821, she repeatedly sent for Buxton and urged him to make the cause of the slaves the great object of his life, 
her last act was to attempt to reiterate this solemn charge and she expired in the ineffectual effort buxton never forgot her counsel he named one of his daughters after her and on the day on which she was married from his house on the first of august eighteen thirty four the day of negro emancipation after his priscilla had been manumitted from her filial service and left her father's home in the company of her husband buxton sat down and thus wrote to a friend the bride is just gone everything is passed off to admiration and there is not a slave in the british colonies buxton was no genius not a great intellectual leader nor discoverer but mainly an earnest straightforward resolute energetic man indeed his whole character is most forcibly expressed in his own words which every young man might well stamp upon his soul the longer i live said he the more i am certain that the great difference between men between the feeble and the powerful the great and the insignificant is energy invincible determination a purpose once fixed and then death or victory that quality will do anything that could be done in this world and no talents no circumstances no opportunities will make a two-legged creature a man without it end of section twenty three